Would you ever wonder if the moon went away? Did you ever have those thoughts, friends? And I'm Kat. And we're the Ghouls Next next Door. Talking about spooky stuff. Yeah. Doing it again, you know? (laughs) Yes. How many times? It's been a bunch. And we're going to keep on keeping on with the audios and the videos. You're welcome. 12 times. Um, (laughs) Welcome. Uh, We are the media literacy show from a horror lens where we explore the real life, historical, political, geological reasonings behind our cinematic fears or in this series, our written fears. Um, We're Mm -hmm. talking about writers and a prolific work of theirs. And last time you heard us talking about N.K. Jemisin. So... Mm -hmm. Context clues could be talking about literally any of she has so many books, so many books, (laughs) so many things. We're talking about one of them specifically, and then like kind of the others, but we're really slow at reading, so we only read the one a little bit, one hold away, and then a little bit of the other ones, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and. When we were planning this series, I was like, oh, yeah, let's throw N.K. Jemisin in here because then it gives me an excuse to, like, force myself to read because, like, I have mm-hmm. a very large, like, T- TBR, like, tower of books mm-hmm. ready for me. And I'd, it's just always there, like, in the yeah. periphery, like, hey, you'll, you're going to like me. And my partner has been telling me for, like, since we, like, met. <laughs> I was yeah. like, you would really love this series. You're going to love it. You should, like, has gushed about it so many times. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And we have all the time in the world. And then started reading it. And he was like, well, you can't just cover the fifth season. You have to cover yeah. the whole trilogy. Like, you're not going to get it. And I was like, I think I'm going to get it. And now, <laughs> and now I get it. But I don't get it. You know? Yeah. Because, <laughs> well, yeah, apparently so much more happened. But honestly, though, like, I feel like our listeners will appreciate us only talking about the first one so that they can just get really excited about it and then they'll read the other ones. Yeah. You get it? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's it's like a gateway yeah. book. So oh, we did the right fun. thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully you... And also, like, this episode is going to be long anyway, the same mm-hmm. way, like, all the other ones have been that long because... Yeah. This is a one. This is a very long book. It's like the longest book I've read of the year. And then on top of that, there's so much that's happening in there. It is a trilogy, so I also pick some things from the other books, but not too much because I was like, I can't speak on that. Um, so it would have just been like impossible. So in the future, yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll cover the other ones. You know, yeah. we'll get them in there. Yeah, and they're worth it. I haven't read them yet, but I know that based on the first one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just wanted to be like upfront. Everyone needs to know it is the fifth season that we're talking about, not Broken Earth. Like, there's a little bit about the Broken Earth series. There is going to be like a little sprinkling of possible <laughs> spoilers, um, but 
they're enough that like this book it, it's so complex <laughs> that even when you're kind of spoiled by something like you don't know what that means and yeah what happens in the book you're like I don't know what that means yeah that's where <laughs> I'm at with it because I am very bad at read and I did not finish even the first one I was like spoil it for me because I'm going to keep reading anyway but like I am very confused <laughs> as to what's happening but it's interesting enough that I'm like I want to know though so I'm gonna keep reading <laughs> yeah and but I a lot of the information you, like, you're just like it's okay that you don't know that? anything you're like yeah. I'm still confused I was like yeah yeah would be that it was when I was reading like every now and again like um <laughs> part of returned to me and I'm like oh my god and he's like what what happened I was like there's an obelisk and inside of it is a dead stone eater. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> What's a stone eater? <laughs> it's like, well, you got to keep reading. But it was like, every time something like. There's a thing in it and it's dead and we don't know. <laughs> this crazy thing would happen. And I'd be like, what is that? <laughs> well, it's, like, it's like the, and you think an answer has happened, but it's not. It's just but a it's new just question. Questions. Yeah. <laughs> character which is like kind of great about it honestly like yeah you're just you like don't okay feel bad about it like you could still mm -hmm. like you it's don't feel exciting. like you're out of the loop you just feel yeah. like you gotta catch up to the loop you know yeah like, <laughs> it's like the loop is there but it's just like layered so you like have to you get introduced to each little layer of the loop and like eventually you'll get close to the middle but it's gonna take a while yeah. And I just want to like bury myself in the glossary. <laughs> I just want to be like, what is this word? What does that mean? I want to mm -hmm. like know the history. Like the same way with Octavia Butler's parables, I wanted to like read Earthseed. I was like, I want that as like a companion book mm -hmm. that I just have and I could just read Earthseed as its own thing. And I'm like, I want to read the stone lore. <laughs> I yeah, because they're talking about it the whole time. Yeah. I want to know what happened. I want to know the other seasons. I want to know other things. So um it it's very it's it's so robust and beautiful for a fantasy series that like I like I get people who just like geek out so hard about Lord of the Rings or Dune, like those worlds that are like too big and I was like, yeah. not for me. <laughs> Yeah, like you're this one. Up words, you're making up countries, you're making up people. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, but this was like so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I get to where you are and we both get to the end, I'm sure we'll both have even more to geek out about. And then yeah. our listeners will too eventually when we talk about it. Yeah. We should have like a meetup where everyone just like talks about their feelings about a meetup? what happened. Well, you know, virtual. Virtual. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Then I'm there. 100%. You're like outside? Ooh. <laughs> no, I would never. With strangers? Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. But I, I'm following now virtual. That sounds like Yeah, yeah. Virtual, we could just, everyone just kind of talk about your things. Like, we were talking about yeah. my friend Roland, and he was, like, listening to it, and was, he was, like, 90% through the book, and he was, like, I still don't understand anything that's happening. And his partner was, like, yeah. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. You're still not supposed to know what's going on. It's, like, yeah. this is, I, I got, like, 20 pages left. Are you sure? And I was, like, guess what? more questions 
Yeah. I need Isaiah to get into it, but like read faster than me so that we can have those moments. Yeah. Where I'm like, whoa. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely one of those books where you want, you want to hear someone else talk about it. And we'll yeah. say, I really like, I would love someone to pick up Broken Earth and make it into like you're saying a TV show cat or film, mm-hmm. but like with the, like a film series or something with the same dedication and passion that went into something like Lord of the Rings or the beginning of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like building this whole world, getting people really into, it. I feel like it would be so cool. People love Avatar, the animated one. So I'm mm-hmm. sure people would love <laughs> would love this if we can figure out how to do yeah. it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it is a, it would be super interesting as an animated series just because you could do a lot visually mm-hmm. with that, but very interesting as a show. I, I feel like movies, they would, they would disappoint us. Like, it's unless they're making a three hour Batman for each one. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. If they do that, then it's fine. But if they do anything less, then it's a disappointment. <laughs> but a show, I feel like they would space it out and then it would work really well because of the way the characters are written. Because then you get like little peeks into each person's situation. Yeah. And then you so, have, like different time it, periods. Like you could, yeah, like, it would lend really well to show, just like structure. We need it. Yeah. <laughs> we need it. Maybe it um, already exists and we just don't know. But I don't think so. I feel like we would have found it in the Google. Um, yeah. But maybe it can. Maybe, Maybe can. Um, but let's dive in. Let me tell you stuff. Yeah, do it. Um, <laughs> so, as I said, we're talking about the fifth season, specifically the first of the trilogy, uh, the Broken Earth trilogy. And this was published in 2015, which isn't too long ago, but also mm-hmm. forever ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the fifth season takes place on a planet with a single supercontinent known as the stillness. Every few centuries, its inhabitants endure what they call a fifth season of catastrophic climate change. And it's written by N.K. Jemison. Yeah, that's why. Um, yeah, I want to know all the different seasons. They're so cool and addicting. Um, but yes, we are not. We will in the future revisit the Broken Earth trilogy. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. I have only read this the fifth season. I'm starting. I've started the Obelisk Gate, and um, it's really hard to put it down. But it is still a very it's a meaty book. So <laughs> working through it. Um, mm-hmm. The trilogy as a whole has so much more to explore, and I really look forward to diving into the entire series as a, at a later time. Like when I was writing this, I felt really disappointed in um, the fact that I don't know everything. I was like, mm-hmm. there's so much more. I spoiled things for myself, but like in a good way. And just knowing that like this section, this episode is just the tip of an iceberg. So do not come at me in the comments when you're like, well, actually this is like, cause I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Give us a fifth season, baby. Just, yeah. Just fifth season, little dab and my little toes in there. Um, so there's so much more that can be said and explored because it is a work of literary art uh, and media literacy art. It's profound and, yeah. and uh, it's so much more than I can cover in my little section of like 30 minutes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to try to cover some of the things that really stuck out to me and I found really interesting um, and really powerful with N.K. Jemison's work. And then, you know, we'll also get into 
what's really scary <laughs> with Cat too. So yeah. uh, diving further into the synopsis of what happens in the fifth season, the stillness is a land ravaged by climate and geological disasters. And this other world features seasons in which Father Earth, which is what they have dubbed the earth um exacts his revenge on the populace in the form of these seasons um the season of teeth which was caused by an earthquake and eruption resulted in the fragile bones of northern populations the madness season caused by an eruption that blotted out the sun for 10 years led to increases in mental illness and probably mm -hmm. like depression <laughs> like all yeah. kinds of like you know all those things um Essentially, this is a world that's suffering from the choices of its predecessors. We are in the, we are in the end. <laughs> Essentially, she, that's what she tells you. Um, and the end is this world that ha is suffering the consequences of what um, people, peoples have done before it. And it's kind of like cautionary tale um, <laughs> for what yeah. we might be doing to our planet. So further, Father Earth, in an attempt at control, created a race of people known as Origins who control tectonic plate activity, siphoning heat from the Earth and living beings around them to move the very Earth beneath them. Um, this part I found really interesting because it's like this form of magic where they do need to use heat to be able to like they're like earthbenders um mm -hmm. but they they need heat and sometimes it's like body heat from another person or it's from the environment and uh the name of the wind fantasy books also have magic in them and they had a similar thing with that where i was like that's so cool to th like have these like practical explanations for what like uh, is otherwise magic <laughs> like, mm -hmm. of course you would need to exchange energy to make this thing like you know yeah so alchemy <laughs> really fun yeah alchemy um consequences anyway these origins uh which are earthbenders um having this phenomenal power are predictably feared by the stills who are normal folk still um and therefore oppressed by those who don't understand their power origin mm -hmm. uh, origins live in fear too their fates tied to their own um populace's whims some are murdered by the townspeople around them even their own families are at risk uh jemison shows that to us immediately with mm -hmm. a murder by family um others are enslaved by the fulcrum which is like this schoolish program a oppressive system uh which hones the the skills of the origins to be used for quote-unquote good um and here they're used as tools and are under the control of their terrifying guardians who can nullify their powers and existence yeah <laughs> they can nullify their existence just straight up unmake you and it's terrifying <laughs> yeah that's about to see that when she gets seen <laughs> Book. She hasn't even seen the unmaking yet. Um, other still, oh god! <laughs> it's like it's so scary. I was like, this is horror. <laughs> you cannot tell me. Um, yeah. So those. So there's people who are murdered by their family and friends and neighbors. Uh, you go to the fulcrum where you're turned into this tool for the institution, um, and you know, just utilized until you're not anything uh others uh survive long enough to control their powers and successfully hide them uh allowing them to live amongst the stills and they're known as ferals they're born wild out there and um by learning outside of the fulcrum they are a bit more dangerous and untamed and also not as skilled 
and powerful. Like some of them are pretty good. Later <laughs> in, in uh, the second one, we get to see a little more powerful um, still uh, uh, ferals out there. But for the most part, they're kind of like untapped because mm -hmm. they can't be open, you know? Um, yeah. There is one even more horrifying fate of certain origins, but I won't spoil it because it was really horrible. <laughs> it was really traumatizing. That was really so sad. It was a treat for you. Um, and it, that horror will like pilots the fear of a lot of people. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that could happen. That's the worst fate of all. So we avoid it. Um, yeah, this story, that was, was the big sad, right? No, that was one of the big sads. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's like, <that's laughs> bad. So yeah, 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 um, yeah. The in the fifth season, the story follows three of these origins. Uh, we have Isun, who's an older and mysterious origin who just lost their son tragically. They, or rather you, set out to find their other child who is still alive and actively in danger. Um, Cyanite is a fulcrum-trained origin. She has four rings, which is the fulcrum status tier system. Mm -hmm. Rings by like how skilled you are at um, controlling your powers and they are setting out on a challenging mission with a temperamental and complicated ten ringer alabaster tender like super powerful very mm -hmm. dangerous and a little bit crazy um we're <laughs> a lot of bit crazy they're, they're seen as very crazy all the time but also amazing love them and uh their name's alabaster and then finally we have demaya a young feral origin who is discovered in her home to be a roga which is the slur for origin and is given to her terrifying new guardian who brings her to the fulcrum for taming um part of this taming is he breaks her hand to show her that she's dangerous and that he is powerful mm -hmm. and she's supposed to love him <laughs> mm -hmm. like, oof. anyway <laughs> throughout the yeah. book we journey alongside these protagonists and they encounter unspeakable horrors reckon with oppressive forces find love lose love and more and a beautiful and heartbreaking story of perseverance in the shadow of a dying planet and when we start at the end of the world you have to ask where do we go from here um yeah <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll start with a dream. So last week we talked about um, N.K. Jemisin, her process and how it starts with a dream at first. And so here's a bit about her dream that she explained in that incredibly helpful New Yorker article that we talked about last week titled N.K. Jemisin's Dream Worlds by Rafi Kachadorian. And they say... Several years ago, N.K. Jemisin, the fantasy and science fiction author, had a dream that shook her. In her sleep, she found herself standing in a surreal tableau with a massive floating in the distance. It was a chunk of rock shaped like a volcanic cone, a cone-shaped smoking mountain, she recalled. Standing before the formation was a black woman in her mid-40s with dreadlocks who appeared to be holding the volcano aloft with her mind. She was glaring down at Jemisin in radiating anger. Jemison did not know how she had triggered the woman's fury, but she believed that if she did not ameliorate it quickly, the woman would hurl the smoldering massive at her. So Jemison awoke in a sweat and jotted down what she had seen. I need to know how that person became who she is. A woman so angry that she was willing to move mountains, she told me. She was angry in a slow burn with the kind of anger that is righteous, enough to change a planet. That's a person who has been through so much shit that she has been pushed into becoming a leader. That's an MLK. I needed to build a world that would explain her. 
<laughs> Boy, does she. Um, it's fascinating to imagine that this dream and then a class that she attended by NASA explaining how doomed the Earth would be without its moon inspired the saga of Fifth Season. Um, each of the books in her Broken Earth trilogy won the Hugo Award. We mentioned this last week. Um mm-hmm. Which is the first time that has ever happened <laughs> that each yeah. book trilogy uh, won a Hugo Award, and she was the first Black person to win the Hugo Award. Period. It's a big deal, <laughs> and yeah. there's a reason why um, because it's it's phenomenal. And at the core of the series is a story about humanity, uh, both the good and bad of humanity. And just as Octavia Butler confronted and addressed the flaws in our society, doomed by our hierarchical nature, prejudice, and short-sightedness, Jemison too envisioned a world that, although fantastical, is also very honest. Akin mm-hmm. to a mirror, um, I had spoke with a friend who read the series and described it as another place, another world with alien folk. And I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> For me, yeah. this book was not science fiction, but instead speculative fiction. Sure, we cannot move the Earth now, but I have no misgivings on the power of our planet, our connection to nature, and how the Earth will always put itself first, healing, shifting, unmaking, and remaking itself into something we'll need to adapt to. Um, and maybe that looks like us being the earthbenders, you know? <laughs> like, uh-huh. I, I, it doesn't seem that crazy to me. You're like, yeah, no. And when we get into my section, you'll learn, it isn't that crazy. It isn't that crazy. Yeah. And definitely all the seasons, like, are logical. Like, they have these crazy fantasy names, like the season of teeth or season of madness. But then you're like, oh, of course it would be the season of madness if we didn't have the freaking sun. Yeah. <laughs> like, it all it's it all makes so much sense. Um, and so, <laughs> for cat section, because they're going to go all over that. Um, but I'm going to lead into some of the themes that come up and they're a lot more about people and mm-hmm. the tragedy that is humans um so nk jameson's work is often steeped in deeper meaning we talked about this last week as well um and her we- world is a replica of our own full of pain turmoil and resistance um again another <laughs> octavia butler kind of thing where we do there is a strain of hope and empowerment um, mm-hmm. through this, like, existing and persisting. Um, though each one of her books is unique, uh, this world built from dreams and research, they do have similar foundations throughout. And so um, one of the major themes in this book, and definitely comes up in all of her books, and there's a reason for that, is oppression. Mm-hmm. Right there. So during a live panel about world be- world building at a convention, Jemison explained that when you're building a world, you have to ask yourself who is being oppressed, why, and by whom, because someone is always being oppressed. <laughs> that is just always the case. Uh, it's a given. So the stories that matter here um, are these ones under the heavy weight of prejudice and fear. And in the stillness, there have been beings throughout history with immense natural power. Um, I'll explain some of the native peoples a bit later, but we do get a good dose of the world's prejudice towards origins, specifically in fifth season. Um, The origins are villainized. Uh, They are feared for their power and painted as a punishment, not a gift. Um, Their treatment is not subtle and a blatant reflection of our society's colonialism and institutionalized racism. There are other tools of oppression represented in the trilogy that include capitalism, advanced technology, and commodification. So a lot of 
layers they're all interconnected mm-hmm. <laughs> here on the show all the time um the, st- the stillness is also literally a caste system um with people's names relating to their role in society so mm-hmm. it's like name this that i was also <laughs> that's how i was going to introduce myself on the show and i forgot i was like gabe podcaster mm-hmm. <laughs> um their use casts um use casts uh connect to breeding manual labor innovation like their role what they what their whole entire purpose is for society and people are reduced to that because it's all about survival like we're in constant survival mode we're in constant fight or flight <laughs> like mm-hmm. rest kind of mode so survival is at the forefront of their minds um so storytellers are seen as archaic and useless um we see a bit more of that in uh, diablo's gate just a little bit so far that I've seen. Um, but origins don't even uh, get that, uh, a used cast name. Instead, they're reduced to a subhuman designation, a trained but not to be trusted monster. Because um, they just, their origin. <laughs> That's it. That's what you are. You're just this, you're, you're raced. That's literally it. It's not your, it's ridiculous. Anyway, um, after her dream of the woman, Jemison began mapping out the world of broken earth and the stillness. She envisioned a somewhat metropolitan hub, a central power and place of stability, and she asked herself why this woman would not reside there. Um, Where does the story take place? What has caused her strife? And in a later interview about her dream in which a woman moved a mountain with her rage, Jemison had said, "That that was the summer when, just about every other minute, there was the unjustified killing of a black person at the hands of police. Ferguson was happening and I was angry myself. I wanted to throw a mountain myself. Um, and this actually really made me think of how Isun, uh, the older origin that we are first introduced to, whose son is murdered at the beginning of the book. Uh, she explains that she hadn't been able to teach him control because he was still young, um, he hadn't known how to hide his originy and uh, to know that what was in him was wrong. Like he, it was just innocence. Um, and Obeliskate, uh, how little he knew about his own villainy is really painful um, because he has this naivety, this perceived safety that causes his death because yeah. he's not on alert essentially. So this education that Isun planned to show her son and had presumably shown Nasun her daughter, and even then she didn't fully understand the danger either, we get to see that later, um, reminded me of the talk that many Black parents have with their children, where they warn and prepare them for interactions with police and others who will see them and only see violence, fear, and retribution. Um, it made me think of all the young black kids who don't get that talk and are now no longer here because they weren't prepared. Like Uchi, these children uh, live in the understanding that they are children, that they're safe and understood to be harmless, not as monsters to be feared, which is what those others with that power are going to see them as. Um, but even still, like, there's always a hint of otherness at a certain age. Like, you know, something is wrong with the way that others see you and that becomes apparent in obeliskate we get to see other kids um, yeah who are like gotta keep this a secret because it's dangerous just me existing yeah um there's also the problem of tradition and inheriting generational traumas um that really like 
stuck out to me, especially in Obelisk Gate, but uh, even throughout the fifth season, it's starting to pop up that there is this problem with tradition or the like, quote unquote, the way things have always been. Um, Mm -hmm. Because tradition can oftentimes stifle the growth and advancement of humanity because we just kind of get stuck in the routine and what it like what is supposed to be done and it's like how many times have revolutionaries um in those daring daring to question the status quo been met with excuses of that's the way it has always been um when trying to make a change yeah get anywhere if you just keep doing the same thing that's literally madness um so throughout the journeys in the fifth season and the broken earth trilogy as a whole we get, we get a glimpse into the world, the whole um, stillness world. And um, after each chapter, Jemison gives us a snippet from the stone lore, which are these written warnings or instructions. They're like pieces of history. But the ones that we see in fifth season are the ones that are like, you know, prepare for a season by storing stuff. <laughs> and it's like, don't trust origins. Like, the- yeah. <laughs> they are and the stone lore are followed quite strictly by the people in the stillness they offer words of advice for preparation for surviving the season so they're really important to them um they also warn of the dangers of the powerful origins that are emotional beings and if they are left to their own devices or feelings could end us all so um it comes from this place of, of fear um but we also learn in fifth season that the stone lore um the characters have grown up with these like words of wisdom are not limited. These are not the only ones that yeah. exist. More out there, like these hidden apocryphal texts that um, Alabaster, my favorite character, uh, reveals to Cyan. Um, and Alabaster serves as this like wise voice of reason, even though he is labeled as crazy because he's like crazy just because he doesn't <laughs> do what everyone wants of him, and he's mad. Yeah. He's- that he's just like shook like all the time because yeah. he has with like the heavyweight of knowing the real horrors of the world um and so he continually like frustratingly so reveals things to to cyan um of what the truth is about their people specifically about origins and saying like you know we are more powerful than you think um and that it is the ones in powers that are the ones in charge are afraid of them. And so yeah. are trying to suppress them. And uh, there's an entire history of oppression of origins and other peoples that refuse the status quo. Their power and strength have been erased or repressed from history. And it's leaving only fear of or hatred for the people's left. Um, this is strategic. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is because it's serving a very specific class of people. Um, Generational trauma is also a really strong theme within works of Afrofuturists as a genre. Um, Afrofuturism is defined by Yatasha L. Womack as an intersection of imagination, technology, the future, and liberation. And the term was coined by Mark Derry in his 1993 essay, Black to the Future, where he imagines Afrofuturism as a possible response to his question. Can a community whose past has been deliberately rubbed out and whose energies have subsequently been consumed by the search for legible traces of its history imagine possible futures? <laughs> and that's like, is it Afrofut- it's like... It's not fiction. <laughs> it is fiction, yeah. isn't it? Like it's so. Mm-hmm. 
in the fifth season and the rest of the trilogy, we can watch as these questions are actively asked and solved by the protagonists. Cyan, Isun, Demaya, spoilers, all the same person, are indoctrinated into the fulcrum's lies and later into the revolution. If you are told your entire life that you and people like you are wrong, evil, to not trust your instincts, that you are deadly, like you can harm the people you love, um, you've no choice but to believe that. And we, as readers, learn of the cultural truths alongside these protagonists and with them, too. We destroy deconstruct those ideologies to reveal a history of oppression and a possibility for redemption. Um, yeah. And enough rage to move a mountain. Because <laughs> yeah. that's exactly how it feels. Um, there's also, like, because of the research that um, Jemison does, uh, there's also this, like, climate change. Like, that's a very big part of the horrors of the fifth season and the whole broken earth trilogy is like, this is literally like a tale about climate change and to be afraid of it. Right. So yeah. the series reveals a history of the stillness throughout and one ripe with oppression control and magic. So long before the existence of the origins, there were a group of magical peoples, um, the, the knees. And again, this is like, this is me just reading it. I did not listen to the audiobook of <laughs> The Stone Sky yet, so uh, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> but that's how yeah. I pronounce it. So the Thaneus, uh, this history is explored in The Stone Sky, the last book of the series, which I, again, have not read. So uh, I'm only <laughs> learning about what's happening as well through the research I did. Little spoilers for myself, little spoilers for you. So just... You might want to move ahead if you want to avoid it, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. cool. Pretty cool. It made me be like, oh my God. <laughs> Can't wait to get there. Yeah. Um, and I was like, whoa. So the Thinis are, uh, they mirror our native peoples specifically. Um, and they understand that the magic of the world is not a commodity, but a living thing. Uh, and Hoa, who's a character in the series, um, is a. <laughs> Sorry, can't spoil your stony. It's okay. Um, he's a stone. No, I got there. You good? Uh, okay, cool. Uh, he's. I don't. I can't remember what I kept in. So there might be another really big spoiler about Hoa. That's okay. It's okay. Um. Anyway, Hoa, who's a character that Yusun interacts with, he's a stone eater. Again, what stone eater? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. I do know now, but I didn't reading it. It's because I yeah. spoiled it. Anyway, he explains uh, in the book from uh, page 209 to 210, he says, magic is everywhere in the world. Everyone sees it, feels it, flows with it. In still anagist, magic is cultivated in every flower bed and tree line and grapevine draped wall. Each household or business must produce its share, which is then funneled away in gene-engineered vines and pumps to become the power source for global civilization. It is illegal to kill in Sil and Aegis because life is a valuable resource. The Nies did not believe this. Magic could not be owned, they insisted, any more than life could be, and thus they wasted both <laughs> by building, among, among many other things, plutonic engines that did nothing. They were just pretty or thought-provoking or crafted for the sheer joy of crafting and yet this art ran more efficiently and powerfully than anything the Justine have ever managed lots of words i don't know because they're 
all words are made up, but these ones are especially made up. <laughs> so while the Sil uh, energists sought to cultivate and commodify the magic of the world to make this, you know, lovely capitalist system, the Thinis uh, looked to respect it. <laughs> and so the Sil energists uh, colonized and later annihilated those peoples for this. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Um, in a blog titled, Oh, Oppression, How Much We'd Like For You To Leave, Part 1, by writer, uh, writer Jose Romero, uh, they compare the description of the treatment of uh, the Venice to the actual the Indian Removal Act, um, stating, on page 209, it states, the Silenogestines took their lands, the Nias fought but then responded like any living thing under threat with diaspora, sending whatever was left of themselves flying forth to take foot root and perhaps survive where it could. And they say, as I was reading this, I was instantly reminded uh, of the Indian Removal Act of 1830, which is a law passed by Congress to remove Native Americans, a very socially and politically oppressed group, from their eastern homelands and force them to move west. Like these individuals who had to migrate west, Nias too were managed to were managing to keep hold of who they were, though, and continuing to speak their language even as they grew fluent in other tongues. Uh, later on in the text, it is revealed that sinologists. <laughs> So these, oh man, silenogists, I'm going to say that, that silenogists were committing genocide against Athenians uh, since they couldn't understand their magic and realized that they did not have to conform to treating magic as only a commodity. And so they took control of their power in the system and removed that oppressive group from their society. The scornful dismissal of Nias' efficiently, efficiency as a fluke of physiology was superior and infallible. Um... And as discussed in our eco-horror series, there are many activist groups in the country fighting climate change and the harmful acts by those in power who have, like, too much of it and are harming our Earth for money. Um, sound familiar? These groups are often led, uh, led by and maintained by indigenous peoples. Um, Atwood, in explaining the horrors of The Handmaid's Tale, had explained that nothing in her book was made up and everything that happens has happened to someone, some people, at some point in history. For Jemison, that is also true. Um, under the guise of the fantastical, the magical, there is truth in the very human reactions to such elements. In their section, Kat will explore the real horrors that we may face were we to lose our moon. A tragedy, a volatile end to our monstrous reign on the planet. Uh, but if we find ourselves persisting on this planet despite that, um, <laughs> despite the annihilation and the absolute transformation of our world, I have no doubt we'd not learn from these traumas, but instead we'll perpetuate them for eternity. Ever hopeful I am. Um, yeah. As I said, I haven't finished the series, so I don't know if Jemison offers hope in the end the way Butler did. Um, all I know is that she starts us at the end in the cold, dark, and emotional grief of the end. And she reminds us that uh, she reminds us that it's the end wherever she can, <laughs> that this is the end of the world. Um, and yeah. I look forward to seeing how it plays out, how we got to the end of the world, and how maybe the end of the world just means the end of what we know. Yeah. Um, and so just some final thoughts by Katchadorian from that amazing New Yorker article. They say it could be read as an environmental parable or as a study of repression or as a mediation on race uh, or a meditation on race or as a mother's post-apocalyptic quest. 
Jemison wove in magical elements, but she systematized. What systematized? I'm just. That's it. She's. <laughs> oh my god! You could do it. What is it? Systematized. 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 Jemison wove in magical elements. Elements, but she. <laughs> them so thoroughly that they felt like scientific principles laws of an alternative nature she evoked advanced technology that made it so esoteric that it seemed like magic yeah thank you for such big words um check out our blog for links to further reading um if you've read the whole uh trilogy then i highly recommend reading some of these um entire papers about all of the ways that oppression is there and there's mm -hmm. if you haven't read them, but it also is like really awesome. It's like, whoa, what? So um, that is, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. There's like made up words from her that are hard. And then there's made up words in our language that are hard because all words are made up. Yeah. Every single one of them. It's not real. Words. It's like when people get mad about grammar and I'm like, grammar was made up. It's all made up of the system of oppression. It's not real. So, so yeah. But, yeah, it's honestly such a good book, and I'm really excited to get to the parts, even if it's a little spoilery time, uh, to get to the parts next, because I still haven't got to the end of this season. I'm, like, very close, but I'm not there yet, so I'm, like, very excited to get there, because I feel like so much more questions, but also, then I get to read the other parts, so, yeah, hopefully by the end end, you know, you have answers. Which it yeah. sounds like we would, so that's. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say of like you mean like the end of the books. Yeah, um, like all of them. Okay, I was like you saying I was like there are no answers at the end of fifth season. Okay, no, I mean like the trilogy ends, and if there's no ending there, it should be more than a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. No, you I put think more it books ends. now. I think it ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's done with a book. Yeah. And well, yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a trilogy. Gone there yet? So. Yeah. We'll get there, and then we'll have many thoughts, I imagine. Yeah. We'll just be like, oh, let's gasp all the time. But, um, yeah. Would you ever wonder if the moon went away? Did, did you ever have those thoughts? I have never. <laughs> never. I don't know if I've, like, thought about it intentionally. I feel like, you know, in those what-ifs, you're like, wow, what would the world be like? And I feel like maybe I've thought it, but also probably not. Um, but well, just we kind of thought about it when we did melancholia and it wasn't yeah. so much that the moon was gone it was just like if a moon sized thing came Earthscope. yeah and it was like oh you know, yeah we are just one space mishap away from annihilation <laughs> like yeah just nature doing what nature does yeah away from annihilation always forever yeah and i mean i think it's like how we were at the end of girl with a kisser it's like it's just the end for you you know true so people might go away other things might happen what if the oceans take over ocean animals are like pretty smart they probably are already down there doing civilization in some way um hopefully better than us there's so much down there we don't even know there's a long dangly squid guy <laughs> yeah he's he's subsistent down there he's doing stuff you know? they're, ocean, they're good they don't even have gender probably like fuck it <laughs> Yeah, little tent, little squid person being. thing. Yeah, yeah, doing it, living their best life. Um, so if the moon was gone, 
what I learned. Um, and as I always say, when we cover sciencey things, I am not a scientist. I'm very far from a scientist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I researched this with my non-scientist brain and take that with as you will. I did get a degree in anthropology. That's slightly different though. It's like a kind of science. Yeah. It's the science of humans. Cause I'm like, what are those? And that's how I tried to learn about them. Except academia is super flawed because it's hella racist. Moral of the story is if our moon was to go away, we would be royally effed. Mm. Like super bad time um, for like a lot of reasons. Um, and like it's already royally effed because of climate change. But like there's things we can do at that point. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there are things we can do to slow down climate change That's and like problem. not actively harm the planet. Um, we can't really control if the moon explodes unless like we're the ones who did it. Then yeah, like that's an us thing. But uh, yeah, they definitely did it. One is like, we have some semblance of saving it. And then if the moon just goes explode now, there's so many ways in which it could impact us that are all very unpredictable because it, it, it really, it just depends on what kind of perfect storm takes place afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. There's like things we know will happen because science, uh, but like how they'll happen exactly all really depends. Um, so essentially the worlds that NK created center around like this idea of this moon being gone. Uh, and that's why we're talking about it, but also like the way it impacted human evolution. I will, I looked up a bunch of times in a bunch of different ways, what would happen to people if the moon was gone, uh, like evolution wise. And I didn't get much of an answer there. Um, it's mm -hmm. more that if the moon never existed, people probably wouldn't evolve to be people. Like mm -hmm. we probably wouldn't exist. Um, so we needed that. Yeah, yeah. We needed the moon and like most evolution in terms of mammals need the moon. Um, mm -hmm. so like if the moon never was, we might not be here. We almost 100% won't be here, but, um, also I think the origins came from like the earth doing something. Mm. Yeah. So I don't I think, think like the evolution was from the moon situation. It was yeah. more like the earth was like, like you guys <laughs> doing it. The seasons does happen because of the moon though. So I'll get nice. into that. Um, Heck yeah. so what would happen if the moon was gone? Um, a helpful article on Forbes titled Seven Ways Earth Would Change If Our Moon Was Destroyed by Ethan Siegel. Helpful. Yeah, really helpful. Uh, and starts with a bang. Details that what this would look like, what it would mean. So the destruction of the moon would result in potential debris, obviously flying very quickly towards the Earth, but like not like super quick, like not as quick as an asteroid. So that's like the mm. bonus. It's like the thumbs up part um <laughs> it could be worse yeah yeah, yeah yeah uh, so, so this may or may not be life exterminating uh this really depends on how the moon was destroyed was it like a big explosion that totally eliminates it entirely as if it never existed in the first place okay like th we're not gonna have like giant rocks flying at us then or like giant amounts of dust absorbing into our atmosphere and quickly heating the planet until it's in habitable um but like if 
it doesn't happen that way if it dissolves into chunks, et cetera. It's like there's lots of ways that this could go down, and that would really impact how, like, the immediate after would go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really would depend on the magnitude of the impact. And if we completely destroy it, break it into a few pieces, or break it down into a bunch of little pieces that kind of break off into debris. So each version of this would have a sick significantly a slightly different result like ultimately the tides and all that other seasons and earth axle tilts and stuff like that that would all happen no matter what happens uh it's just kind of like do we get hit with giant rock or not mm-hmm. um so if the moon split into smaller pieces they would likely reform into one or more smaller moons um i also scary. read somewhere that like if you kind of destroy them but they don't move that they could over like a lot of time just reform back into the original moon or just like take a minute um but essentially uh they could <laughs> reform a minute yeah you know like a long <laughs> we long not see the minute end and neither <laughs> with many of us and all children's 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 children um but like eventually it could happen i will um, say that it's probably like a factual like explanation of how long it would take considering the small amount of time we've been here oh, it's been a minute of, like the existence yeah. of yeah it would humanity be a is minute. a little blip yeah <laughs> it's gone <laughs> and then the earth is like wow they did a bunch of damage never gonna do that again uh keep them <laughs> don't yeah. let them do technology that was the mistake uh yeah, we learned yeah or like just yeah it's, it's time uh, but yeah so essentially it would not destroy the planet no matter what, like entirely. It would probably just really impact us and like mammals and land-based animals. Um, water creatures. Yeah, water creatures too. Um, but like... But I mean, we're water creatures. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things that are influenced by tides. Um, so it wouldn't be as destructive as an asteroid or a comet uh, that we fear because these fragments have less energy upon impacts so if it's a bunch of little pieces like they would not really it would be bad but it wouldn't be as bad as like asteroid or comet or like what destroyed the dinosaurs happening the speed impact would be minimal comparatively um and make it less deadly because of the less energy um and that's because asteroids or comets striking earth move at 20 50 or even over 100 kilometers per second but lunar debris would be moving at a mere eight kilometers and would strike only a glancing blow with our atmosphere. So it's closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a lot less time to travel, so it's slower. Um, you can be smart. Yeah, yeah, you get you get math. Um, <laughs> so damage would still happen. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, and many life forms, including humans, would likely die. Like, even just like from the impacts. Uh, and that's like, that's like the least bad part of it. Um, but it would likely not drive an entire humanity extinction level event unless like mm-hmm. a very specific amount of factors happen. And it, and it's honestly like, at least not right away, like you kind of want to go in the beginning because the mm-hmm. after is what's like bad. <laughs> Um, So the impact would be less than 1% of the total energy of a comparably sized asteroid. For this reason, we would likely survive the impacts. And if they were small enough, um, these 
little chunks would be kind of like chilling in our atmosphere. The real problem would come if you survive any of these initial impacts that the change to the planet could either be really gradual or super fast. It really just depends on the exact circumstances. The debris from the moon likely won't result in problems right away, but it could range from destroying any and all satellites in our orbit uh, mm -hmm. to collecting in our atmosphere and forming like a Saturn-like ring, gradually releasing debris to burn up before it reaches the planet's surface. The ring would also likely, as I said, destroy satellites, but leave the planet unscathed. If satellites were destroyed, there would be impacts that would affect the ability to send signals into space, um, which would make it so likely our internet, cell phone, general globalization vibe would be impacted by that um and there have been many books and movies positioned around the destruction of the internet and global connections so i think it's like reasonable to assume the fallout of that would be like a bad time like negative uh mm -hmm. for a lot of people um there's also another possibility which would involve like the tiny pieces dissolving into the earth's atmosphere and further heating the planet uh more rapidly than it's already doing um mm -hmm which could potentially lead to inhabitable le levels of heat over a long period of time. Uh, specifically, I don't think that the moon would produce enough debris to heat the planet at which like all the oceans would evaporate, but it could heat it enough to at the very least melt what's left of the Arctic uh, for forging any kind of forgoing any axial tilts that push us into an ice age. Um, and the results would be water levels rising and land decreasing exponentially. Um, the biggest impact though is less about the actual impact of the moon's debris and more about like what happens uh, to our axial tilt, specifically our placement and how we rotate on an axis. Uh, Earth spins on an axis tilted at 23.4 degrees with respect to our orbital plane around the sun. This is known as our obliquity. Um, you might not think that the moon has much to do with that, but over tens of thousands of years, that tilt changes from as little as 22.1 degrees to as much as 24.5 degrees. The moon is a stabilizing force as worlds without big moons like Mars see their axial tilt change by 10 times as much over time. Hmm. On Earth without a moon, it's estimated that our tilt would possibly even exceed 45 degrees at times, making it a world that spun on our sides. Poles wouldn't be always be cold. The equator might not always be warm. Without our moon to stabilize us, ice ages would preferentially hit uh, different parts of our world every few thousand years. Um, so that we would have seasons. Imagine how dizzy you would be, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, good, okay. good. Um, <laughs> but the seasons that NK propositions as a possibility would likely exist in that mm -hmm. there would be times where parts of the planet did not have access to the sun. There would be times where parts of the planet experiences exponential cold. There would be times where destabilizing events happen that like really just mess with adaptivity of life. Um, so humans in many ways would need to learn to re return to like nomadic ways of life um, in order to survive. We'd find failure in structured locations and the kind of like inability to change. So like society would need to go like mm -hmm. countries. No, 
it's like open borders or everyone's going to die. And I think like that's going to be our downfall more than anything else is that people's inability to change will lead to our ability to like survive these events even worse. Um, And and people are so much more nomadic and like fluid in the trilogy Mm -hmm. because they're just expecting like, oh, life is going to change. So I got to move. Yeah. And like, ideally (laughs) the fall of the internet and other things would destabilize society enough that like we could just kind of vibe. Um, (laughs) So so yeah, the destabilization, destabilization of the earth would lead to other impacts that drastically affect weather, plant life and overall biodiversity, as well as evolution of humanity and other animals. There would likely be creatures that evolve past us, uh, humanity as we are now, that would either place us in a position of prey or drive extinction-like events like genocide. Uh, whether that's a breakoff from our current Homo sapiens or another species entirely, thinking aquatic life where dolphins, octopi, or other creatures that develop higher adaptivity to the changing planet can exist like on the ocean floor or like mm-hmm. maybe they come up on the earth now like that's literally what evolution is like i'm pretty sure crocodiles were whales once like you know what i mean like yeah kind of they just came out of the ocean we were once fish um yeah so that can happen it's just likely it's gonna take a minute so it's possible also maybe that humans or creatures like that exist could develop power similar to nk's book in in that like the origins or stone eaters could develop to meet evolutionary needs to survive this ever-changing planet and that eventually stills or humans without these powers would not have the adaptive requirements to survive the many seasons of planetary change. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is difficult about thinking through this is that the changing of the planet would be so unexpected in its shifts, it would be really hard to adapt to uh, because you never really would know what the season would entail. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like you don't know if it's going to be an ice season or a teeth season or a fire season or a madness Mm -hmm. season. You know what I mean? Like you don't know how it's going to go down. So it's really hard to prepare for something when you really have no idea. And you don't name them till after. So Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) The survivors name the season. So the middle space is just chaos. Uh, So what else would happen if the moon was destroyed? Some lighter results would be that the night sky would be brighter and that'd be pretty. Um, Unobstructed by the moon, our vision of space would be clearer. The new sky would be extremely beautiful. Uh, With this, there would be no more eclipses. The length of our standard days would also either remain constant or potentially decrease. The moon impacting the speed of the Earth's rotation, slightly slowing it over time is where we have our leap years and our 24-hour day cycles when the dinosaurs are around it was 22 hour days uh so it's changed over time um so this has impacted the time of our days by slight increments over centuries without a moon we would either be constant 24 hour days until the sun dies or we would decrease in hours of days so like if the earth's rotation slowed down or sped up we'd have different results so essentially if the rotation of the earth sped up Wind and other weather events could likely increase. This would make it very hard for birds and bugs specifically to survive, which would likely make it very difficult also to fly planes. We would see a significant decrease in pollination by animals. We'd probably see a lot more just like wind-based or we'd have crops die like crazy. Um, Yeah, we'd have crazy like uh, tumbleweeds. Mm -hmm. And also like... 
nothing like we'd have yeah. fire because all the time because the tumbleweeds are just invading that's the fire season for you yeah no exactly and you'd fly right up i'm kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um another thing that would be really impacted by the moon which i seems the most obvious and i haven't mentioned it is tides uh it would be really impacted by this specifically impacting like land mammals but also aquatic life uh, i would dramatically impact the biodiversity on coasts um, mm. and specifically an article on Royal Museum's Greenwich titled, what would happen if the moon disappeared? They elaborate, elaborate on the climate impact that it would, that would happen to, if it happened with the no moon now. Um, so while <laughs> time, I can't speak either. We're having time. While tides would not cease to exist, they would shrink forming more constant mini tides that are still influenced by the sun but they would be unchanging and significantly smaller than our current tides. Tide pools currently hold some of the ocean's richest biodiversity, so the decrease in tides would impact this, and as a result could decrease in the biodiversity of the ocean overall, as well as like coastal ecosystems. Animals that depend on these tides, like crabs, mussels, starfish, and snails, would likely go extinct, and the result mm -hmm. of this would not only impact sea life, but also impact the land animals who rely on coastal ecosystems for a food source. Um, specifically people who rely on like ocean animals to live. That's a thing too. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like coastal animals would likely go extinct as ocean currents are often driven by tides that distribute warmer water around the globe. The impact, uh, on global climate becomes more obvious without these currents, temperatures could potentially grow more extreme. As I said, having periods of ice ages, either cooling or kind of just like not as obvious distribution of mm -hmm. uh, the poles, et cetera, which would lead to a lot of like biological chaos. Um, in terms of additional effects this would have on animal life, it would likely spur a rise in prey uh, specifically and a decrease in predators. The lack of a moon would impact many predators who use the moon's light and the advantage of the night's darkness to hunt. Prey would fare better because predators could no longer use the light of the moon to help them hunt. And this would impact this wouldn't impact all predators. Uh, ones that have decent night vision or echolocation would likely do okay. Um, but from an evolutionary standpoint, it likely changed the way in which eyes develop as well and evolve in wildlife as well. Um, so we'd likely see more animals if it does, if we survive at all. Um, people that could do things, like have different ways of vision, including like heat sensors and kind of like maybe they don't see color, maybe they see thermal, um, echolocation, et cetera. We'd probably have like increases in our other senses as well. Or if the predators are not able to evolve at that level, um, they'd likely die off, especially if they're already at lower numbers from the impact of human intervention. And yeah, that's my- So we'd my have like real, like predators, like the predator, cause they were th thermal, they see thermal. Yeah. That's why he had to put himself in all the mud. You know? Yeah, I think the thing that would get them is that we've already destroyed the ecosystems and lives of current predator animals. Like for the most part, like we don't really have large predators anymore, except for really in the ocean. And even there, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of damage done. Um, so land predators would probably go extinct for a while. Um, just because they're not currently at the population levels where they could also survive this like planetary devastation. Um, 
So then just be like an overpopulation of prey. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, we probably also see a very big rise in like deep ocean animals, like developing new stuff. Maybe they, they come up here. I don't know. Well, we ain't seeing nothing. Dangly squid (laughs) doing the dances. The bottom of the ocean comes up and says, hello. We don't know. Um, I'm not going to be here. I know that much. I need an inhaler to breathe regular air. Fill that with debris. I'm done. Like, you block out the sun. I'm going to be real. We changed the weather even slightly. My body's like reject. The pollen be weird now. Like, because in the city, they plant like primarily male trees. trees. Yeah. So like, they're just like pollen has been so bad last few years. Like my allergies are insane. So I don't want to live in a place that doesn't have a moon. Also, the moon is like really pretty. And if the wind is more, the pollen goes more. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like more all up in your house. Your your nose. Tumbleweeds take over like fire. Fire. (laughs) We could write like, NK, we know. We know that's the fire season. (laughs) (laughs) Tumbleweeds would be an entire problem. They are already an entire problem. I know, but like more wind would just make it everywhere. They'd cross oceans, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they fly. Maybe they develop sentience. And that (laughs) is the real enemy now. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen because it's chaos. It is. It's like all scenarios were like, this might happen. And if you live, this is the awful. And I was like, okay. And then like, if you live, like all the things that happen are very unpredictable. Like we know they will happen, but we don't know like how or when or how often Mm -hmm. you just, it's easier to die. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, you know, it's going to make it easy for everybody, including myself, and just go when the moon goes. It's so, like, impressive, like, the characters in the trilogy. Like, it, just everyone is like, yep, here's the season. A bunch of us are going to die off. Like, they're just, like, prepared for that. They're like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, we everyone's hear, in lizard brains, so. a long time, so. It's a it's constant, a <laughs> who gets on the boat? yeah for the next one yeah um and throw everyone else out into the wilderness to die and then you're like wow okay we actually did need those people so yeah it's always like which use casts are we going to keep you know the strong bodies or the storytellers not them the leaders who just like run away and do stuff leaders no leaders no loris no privilege yeah so good so good what a great uh, so just a great series um i am really excited to finish it uh and it has made me want to continue doing writers forever we're not going to do that yeah we are in a way it we does make us want it. to though like it's like why ever watch a movie again it's just not gonna you make the world look right in here yeah you can you can do it in your brain yeah and that's okay. the beauty of it yeah yeah it's crazy um <laughs> thank Straight you for sharing this that horrors, the horrors of losing our, our moon um i thought there was gonna even be more i was like really looking i was and i mean there's a bunch but i just mean like i thought i was expecting to google what kind of cool way human evolve later and that it was gonna be crazy and it was like eh it was like you aren't gonna we're be- gonna become giant golden retrievers who don't know how to think critically and i was yeah. like yeah probably we're, go- we're colorblind our brains get smaller we only eat grass 
yeah so much so much yeah um that's fine we can be like raccoons and like eat garbage and survive forever I don't know if they live very long actually but like you know what I mean like your stomach can just eat stuff or we'll be like koalas and eat leaves that we can't digest until we die (laughs) sounds like it sounds like us yeah yeah (laughs) I think it's koalas it's like koalas or something else but yeah Yeah. they eat leaves and they can't digest them and it doesn't give them any nutrients so they just eat them obsessively until they die and it's horrifying but that's going to be humans now yeah maybe if we live or we'll just be like pandas where we look like predators like we got the canines and everything but then we just eat we just eat bamboo yeah, because we, we none of us have working or a lot of us don't have our um, appendix anymore. Can't be. Oh, I still got mine. I think like, unless I never had one in the first place. I'm my body's weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't have wisdom teeth. This, they just never existed. They didn't get yeah. removed. They just never were there. So I imagine there's. I no one's done a scan. They're missing <laughs> organs. <laughs> I think they're all all the ones I need are there. I have at least one kidney. Yeah. <laughs> it does kind of its job. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows what's going on in here? Not me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. Um and <laughs> and Kay knows a lot. She knows a lot of things. So uh trust her as a source. What a great yeah. epic, uh amazing storytelling, both on like the scientific part, but then also <laughs> Oh, the emotional part. It's uh, really funny the thing you said in the license. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also just like so sad. Like, it, yeah, you're. Yeah, it is so sad, and it never stops being sad. Like, I haven't stopped being sad. Yeah, I mean, based on what happens later, it doesn't sound like it gets like better. <laughs> it's like like cool. happier. It's cool. Yeah. yeah, and I, I feel like there's some hope in there. Like, yeah in some way like because people are going to keep people in even if it's a bad time uh but yeah yeah it's stressful i never related so much to a character when like (laughs) there's like a cedar where alabaster is like can you do this and like explains this thing and ethan's like what yeah like what did you say and then there's a noise and it's just like that's me oh my god that's exactly how i feel (laughs) and then there was a stone eater (gasps) what is that (laughs) oh my god a stone eater that's a what is that (laughs) i assume they eat stones that's that's the context clues but other than that i don't know why are they why are they contributing to my nightmares and my depression anyway i mean um, <laughs> it'd be dope to not have to like be on the up you could just go on the down and like explore down there <laughs> like they can travel through the earth yeah so you don't have to be on the top part you can just yeah. do wherever you go wherever you want do yeah, whatever you, you just want. gotta work understand that the You're cold go shifting. to the earth core the shifting the earth is always shifting under there yeah it's but like go down to the earth core find godzilla like that's what you could do <laughs> yeah yeah go to the bottom of the ocean awaken cthulhu what are we doing yeah you could do that if you want awaken cthulhu and godzilla let them fight now i have entertainment no one yeah. has tv anymore yeah i do want to know what the obelisks do i'm not there yet and i'm excited to figure out what that's all about I 
big question marks every time. Um, it looked like that meme, like with a mouth, like <laughs> what is that? Uh, yeah. But like from fun, like a fun, yeah, but, like happy. You're Living like is fun. It's not math. It's like science. It's like history. <laughs> it's like made up words, societal um, critiques. Yeah. yeah, all of it. 10 out of 10. It it is written. We are starting on a new uh, writer next week. We're going to be talking about Sylvia Morena Garcia. So stay tuned for that. Um, I have so much to say. I could pick any, any number of books. We're going to talk about certain dark things for her. Um, But I'll tell you one of my favorite writers ever. So (laughs) Sylvia be my friend and Kate be my friend and um, like, and subscribe as you do. Let us know how you feel about NK. What's your favorite book by her? And, um, if we were to do another writer series next year, you want us <laughs> to talk about? Ooh, who are we talking about? We already have some plans, but I want to hear from you as well. Uh, and drop us a, you know, email girls next door at gmail.com. Do you want us to never watch movie again? Only review book. <laughs> do we become booktubers? Is that what, is that what happens? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, think I don't know really. if I can sustain. I don't know if we can sustain it. Really? We, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. <laughs> It's like we why like, why wow, do guys. books take month when can do movie take hour half <laughs> exactly but also what it shows now monthly because we read million books read book seems <laughs> read book take month yeah <laughs> say less words more things <laughs> more things said say word, less word more comprehend. Exactly. 100%. (laughs) Following that thought. Well, uh, don't get married. We'll eat your kids. I'm not going to say what happens to your kids in this book. Sorry. It's so sad.